speaker uh, tells you good evening and then he spends the next 30 minutes telling you why it's not a good evening. But wouldn't you, couldn't you imagine if, if it was a positive message? It's just a positive message. You turn on the news and I imagine it sounds something like this. Good evening. 3,000 planes took off and landed as scheduled today without any incidents. The economy seems to be doing fine. No politicians were indicted for corruption today. Crime is down and families gathered for a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. Thanks for joining us on this evening news. Wouldn't that be great? It'd be about that short too. But that would be great to be able to turn it on and hear the good that's going on around us. But we can't be Christian ostriches and put our head in the sand and ignore what's really happening in our country. We can't. We have to face reality. Times are tough. It's dark times. And so it's important that you understand that Brent can't always bring a positive message. It can't always be positive, folks. The Bible's not all positive. There's some stuff in there that's tough to understand. There's some, tough in, there's some stuff in there that is hard, that is dark. And we can't always give a positive message. Now, I know there's preachers all across this country that will preach positive messages every day or every Sunday, week in, week out. As a matter of fact, there's some megachurch pastors that will tell you they refuse to preach on the word sin. They refuse to preach it in their church because it's too negative. It's too negative. They only want to preach the good stuff. They only want to preach the positive stuff. But the word is not all just positive. There's some things in there that challenge us. And I have to stand before you today and give an account to God one day for how I speak to you this morning. I love you, so I got to tell you the truth today. Is that okay? Well, I know one or two of y'all said that was okay. But that's not going to stop me from preaching the truth to you, okay? I'm sorry. The Word of God is powerful, and it's, sharp. it's sharper than any two-edged sword, the Word says. That means it cuts going out, and that means it cuts, come, go, it cuts going in, and it cuts coming out. Okay? That means it's powerful going in, and if you let it, it'll be powerful coming out. You understand? So I got, I got to preach to you. I can't help that there's preachers all, all over this country that won't preach the truth of God's word. I can't help that. The fact is, is we have to preach the whole gospel and not just some of the gospel. So I love you. You love me? Well, man, I'm glad y'all respond better to that. Woo. That was good. But you know, the Bible says that a sinner can't be saved unless he first knows he's a transgressor. So how do I preach the, to, I'm not saying that you are sinners, but I'm saying how do you win souls, how do you challenge souls if you don't preach the whole truth? 
You have to preach the whole truth. I heard this, I heard this uh, poem, if you will. It's, it's, you, you might not think it's a poem, but I really think it's an awesome poem. It says, in the last days, there will be a lot of people sporting a brand new sugar-coated Christianity that looks and sounds good that will be powerless. We are living in those last days. I believe that. The world has seen enough fakes. They've seen enough weak-kneed, empty-headed, two-faced, finger-pointing, big-talking, no-walking, wimpy-acting, church-playing, godless-living, non-giving, doubting-pouting, gossip-spouting, three, three strikes and you're out, and I've got problems big as a mountain, cussing on Friday but Sunday morning shouting Christians. That's a good poem, ain't it? So you can imagine where we're going this morning. Sugar-coated Christianity won't cut it, folks. It won't cut it. You won't make it. You won't make it in the end. I mean, if, if you're having trouble now, things are going to get worse. And that's exactly what our scripture talks about this morning. Paul in our text has given Timothy a dose of reality. He's given Timothy uh, and us a dose of reality. He's saying, Timothy, he warns us that in the last days, terrible or perilous times will come. So today we're going to look at that scripture. We're going to start in 1 through 5. Our scripture today is 2 Timothy 3. It's one of the greatest hits of the Bible, and, and you're going to find out why. But in 1 through 5, it says, but mark this, Timothy. Mark this. Be extremely cautious. Be very concerned about this, Timothy. There will be terrible times in the last days. Some translation says perilous times. I love that word, and I'm going to talk about that word later on. But people, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Imagine that. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. That's a feel-good message right there, ain't it? So right off the bat, I can tell you some of you right now have a list of people that you need to stop hanging out with. And unfortunately, there's some right here in the church. Unfortunately, if we go by Scripture, if we go by what the Word says, it's right here. Now, I'm not saying stop being a friend. I'm not saying, I'm not saying stop being a witness to them. I'm saying you can't hang out with them. You shouldn't be going to parties with them. You shouldn't be doing stuff with them. You're a child of God. You're set apart. You're to be brought out from among them and being separate, the Bible says. We're to be different. So as we look at these ungodly characteristics, it's going to be real easy as, as, as for us to, to push that over and sit there with your righteous paintbrush and say, oh, that's for them. 
flip a little paint on them. Oh, I'm glad they came. They needed to hear that today. But I, I promise this message is for everybody. This message is for me. It's for you. It's for everybody in this room. Because you see, Paul is telling us that in the last days, perilous times will come, terrible, terrible times will come. And so uh, you're, thinking, uh, you're thinking of awful people, right? You're thinking of worldly people. You're thinking, yeah, man, how true that is. That person that I work with, the people, I see it at my workplace all the time, and I see it at school all the time. I see it on the news, how bad this country's getting. I see how rough everything's getting. Oh, Jason is so right, man. Things are getting really, really dark in this country. Then Paul throws us a curveball. He says in verse 5, They'll have the form of godliness, but deny its power. What does a form of godliness look like to you? Yeah, I thought about that. I thought, what does a form of godliness look like? Does it look like that person at work, that coworker who don't go to church, don't have anything to do with God? Don't pray, don't read their Bible, don't even claim to be a Christian. Is it that person or at school that I go with that, that don't have anything to do with God, doesn't, doesn't claim to be a Christian whatsoever? Do they have a form of godliness? Surely not. What Paul's talking about is people within the church. They have a form of godliness. They go to church, you see. They do all the things. He's, he's describing professing Christians. Their, their religion is just an empty shell, though. They lack the reality of a genuine walk with God who looks on the heart. They talk a good line. They put on a good front. But in their motives and in their thought lives and in their personal relationships, it's just not godly at all. talking about us he's really talking about us he's saying Timothy is coming to the church so it'd be it'd be real easy to read this text today and listen to this message and and shovel it on the person next to you my buddy Kenny Greenway he's my He's my mentor. He, he used to open up his messages. He used to say, I need you to go to the tool shed in your mind and get a rake. Don't get a shovel. He said, because if you get a shovel when the word comes and when the message comes, you're going to shovel it over on the next person or then you're going to shovel it over on that person. He said, if you get a rake, you got to rake it in. I don't know how y'all rake but you rake, you rake to yourself, you rake it all in because this message is for you. So rake it in, okay? 
But I think what Paul's doing here is he's urging Timothy, he's urging everybody that he's writing to here, us and Timothy, he's saying, uh, you need to be asking yourself, Lord, is it I? Do some soul searching. Is it I, God? Am I drifting to a form of godliness but denying its power to transform and change my life? Is it I, God? I want to clarify something, too. I want to just clarify. When, when I said this message is for everybody, it is. Because there's, there's some of us that fall in, there's two categories that we fall under. One is we occasionally fall. We occasionally slip into an attitude of ungratefulness. We occasionally do something that makes us unholy. We occasionally get a little proud. But then there's another category of people that live there. They live there. They're an ungrateful person. They don't, they don't occasionally slip into it. They're just ungrateful. They're unholy. They're boastful. They're proud. They're all of the above. But, but it doesn't matter. If, if you occasionally visit there, then guess what? Those times need to become fewer as a child of God. Those, those times need to become fewer in your life. And if you're living there, you need to stop. I mean, you just need to stop. You need to get out of it. You need to stop doing it. So I want, to be, I want us to understand that there's two categories that I'm talking about here. And everybody in here, unless you're Jesus, slips into these. You either slip into it occasionally or you live in there. So I ask you to please rake it in. Break it in. It's for you. But we see right off the bat that our love is misdirected. It says that if we're, if, if we're lovers of money and we're lovers of self, right off the bat. So right off the bat, we see the cause for all the other problems. Because if you're a lover of self, then you're all of those. You fall under all of those. I mean, we, we live in a world that promotes self, don't we? We have selfies. We have selfie sticks. We have Facebook. This might as well be self-book. We have Instagram. What's some other ones? Snapchat. got boys in the house. I've seen what they do. Huh? I mean, sorry kids, I know. I'm, no, no, no offense. But, I mean, seriously, we live in a world that promotes that stuff. And the gospel is telling us, deny yourself. We live in a country that's saying, it's all about yourself. 
But the gospel's saying, deny yourself. And so right off the bat, we see that the love for self is a struggle for man. And then we see that we're lovers of money, which I believe is the lubricant for the self-absorbed machine that we are. You know, people used to say, uh, love is what makes the world go round, but money is what greases the wheel. You ever heard that saying? So you mean tell me we can't have, we can't have some love without some money? We can't have some uh, peace without some money? Don't get me wrong. Money's good, and we can use money to advance the kingdom of God. We can use money to bless others. We can use money to really do a lot of good in this country. But when the love of money becomes your intention, now it's the root. The Bible says it's the root of all kinds of evil. Not the root of evil. It's the root of all kinds of evil. <laughs> so we have to be careful where we place our love. But basically, if you're a lover of self, you're a lover of money. If you're a lover of self, then you're boastful. We're a boastful people. It says here, a, a boastful person, uh, they talk a good talk and sound spiritual, but really they're, they're just putting on a front to cover up their lifestyle. We're a proud people. If you're a lover of self, you're a proud person. Do you know what the Bible says about pride? I'm going to see if you know, because most people get this wrong. Pride goes before wrong. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit goes before a fall. See, we've been taught that our whole life, you see. Pride, listen, pride goes before destruction. Destruction means you're destroyed. Pride will destroy you. A fall you can get back up from. But pride says it goes before destruction. It will destroy you if you're not careful. I mean, we have pride marches in our country. We have American pride. We have America's Got Talent and, and what, what's the other one? Uh, American Idol. Man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, I just differ on some a lot of things, and people think I'm hardcore, but I'm sorry. I'd have a hard time as a singer going to American Idol to sing for the American Idol as a Christian. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know there's a lot that do it, and I know you may disagree with that, but I'm just saying, how did you say, Bob, the Bible says, don't put any idols before me, and we're going to go try out for the American Idol. Sorry, I mean, it, it is what it is. That's the country we're living in. But remember that pride goes before destruction. You look it up. I don't have the scripture, but you can look it up. It's destruction. If you are a lover of self, you are disobedient to parents. Oh, my goodness. 
I don't know if I've ever seen a time that kids are so disobedient. You need to whip their butt. I mean, I'm just being real. They don't rule your house. You the father, you the mama, you rule the house. You tell them what to do. They'll tell you what to do. Man, I tell you what, I grew up with a single mama, and she was a bad mama. <laughs> she didn't take no junk from them boys, I can tell you that much. She'll, she'll bust you in the mouth. She'll punch you, whatever. I mean, you ever see a big woman? She'd be like, <clears throat> she would knock you out. Because you didn't, you didn't say no to my, you didn't say no to my mama. You know, and I know we're trying our best to teach our kids and give our kids what we didn't have growing up. But we can't forget to give them what we did have growing up. We can't forget what we have growing up. We had discipline. We had respect for elders. Man, I'm a part of the neighborhood. We, there's a like a Facebook in the, you know, we live in a, what do you call it, association or whatever in our neighborhood, and there's like a Facebook page that they have, and, and people will get on there, and they'll start talking about people flying up and down the road or people on four-wheelers on the road, and they shouldn't be, and it'll be adults talking about it, and there'll be kids that come on there, kids that I know live like in my backyard or, or you know, live across the way from me. They'll get on there and start disrespecting these people, like telling them older people to mind their business. It ain't none of their business what people are doing. Man, I ain't never seen nothing like that in my day. My mama would have beat my tail if I would have disrespected somebody like that. We gotta teach them respect, man. We gotta teach our kids some work ethic. I mean, our kids don't know no work ethic. You don't know why? Because you told them to clean their room and they said, I don't want to. I'll get it later. I don't want to. I'll get it later. And you know what happened, Mama? You went in there and cleaned it for them. So now when they're trying to work in the real world, they think somebody else is going to do it for them. They think they're supposed to get something for nothing. Not in my house. In my house, you're going to clean the room. Or I'll throw everything you got out the window. I'll lock the door and you won't have a room. Uh, true story. My oldest son, when he was young, he, he told me what he was going to do. I said, boy, you ain't got nothing in this house. You understand? It's all mine. God's blessed me with it. And you ain't got nothing. We make the money. It's not yours. I said, that room, he said, what about my room? I said, that room ain't even yours. <laughs> so I locked the door. He said, where am I going to sleep? I said, you can sleep in the floor. You can sleep in the hallway, I don't care. That's hard, ain't it? But you know what? My son is rebelled against God, and he has left the family. I ain't seen him in almost two years. Y'all pray for us. But 
my son has rebelled against God. But you know what? He ain't calling home needing money. He ain't calling home saying, I can't make it. He, he's making it on his own down there. He's doing it his way, but he's doing it all on his own. You know why? Because he's been taught. You're going to do it, you're going to do it on your own. I'm just, I'm just saying, man, we, we, we got to get our parents on board with disciplining our kids and raising our kids in the admonition of the Lord with love and honor and respect, teaching our kids to respect our elders. You know, we're raising some self-absorbed monsters. We gotta, we, gotta, we gotta do better than this, parents. That's on us. If you're a lover of self, then you're ungrateful. Man, we could pitch a tent right here. We could camp out all day on ungratefulness. I don't know if I've ever seen an ungrateful bunch of people other than Christians. I remember my first job was at the Pioneer Family Restaurant in Archdale. And I worked there for about a year and a half. And I remember asking one of the ladies there, we were there talking one day, talking about, you know, how, how things were and how people are and they bicker and complain. And uh, we were talking and I said, well, what's the worst day of the week for y'all? And before she didn't even hesitate, she said Sunday afternoons. All those church folk get out. She said, they're the rudest people. They're more ungrateful than anybody. They're never pleased. They're never satisfied. It never gets done right for them. And they don't tip on top of that. Shame on us. Shame on us. My goodness, man. Just be grateful. Just be grateful. You live in a first world country. I'm sorry. You ain't got no problems. You get up this morning with food on your table, food in your cabinets, shoes on your feet, clothes on your back. All of you look like you got clothes. Probably got cable that you're paying $150 for. Probably got internet that you had to get the best package that they had. You, you, I mean, I mean you, you got everything under the sun in this country at your fingertips. And yet we get in a, we get in a drive-through line and boy, we lose our mind if, if they take too long at a fast food restaurant. Y'all so ungrateful that they done put two lines in some of these fast food restaurants. <laughs> you see that? They put two lines in there. They're like, oh, Lord, gosh, let's put two lines, and we'll just come out to them. What would you like? It's true. We're an ungrateful bunch of people, man. Be grateful. Just be grateful. you got a lot in this life, man. You are blessed. You are blessed. You got in a car this morning to come to church. Most of us, now I know there's some of us, but 
most of us got in a car to come to church with the air blasting in this humidity, feeling good, coming to church, makeup not smearing for the women, that is, not you guys. Makeup not smearing because of the sweat. Be grateful. Be grateful. I mean, we over here on Wednesday nights. Let, let me just tell you folks, people work hard to serve you around here. They work hard. They put in time around here. They put in a lot of time. When you show up on Wednesday nights and there's food there, people have put in some serious time to get you that. On Family Fun Fest up, coming up next weekend, people are going to put in hours and hours of time to serve you, to make sure that it goes well. And it's free. So just say thank you and move on if that's how it's got to be. I mean, really, don't be ungrateful. You're a child of the king. You sit at a king's table. Got time for ungratefulness. We do. We work hard to serve you. Be grateful. Just be grateful. These next three go hand in hand. If you're a lover of self, then you are without love. It's hard for you to love others. You can't get yourself out the way. You're without forgiveness. And if you're with, if you can't love a person, and you can't forgive a person, then the the next thing can only be that you slander them. Right? I remember a, a, a lady in my church, my old church, not this one. All the ladies are looking at each other. <laughs> I remember a lady in my church, though, and she had, um, someone had died, her mom or dad, somebody had died in her family, and they had a... Uh, the wheel, you know, all that. There's like four, three or four siblings, and the wheel just didn't work out quite like she expected it to. And there was some left to people and less left to her. I don't really know the situation, but all I know is it became a problem. And she got bitter. And for several years would not speak to her siblings. For several years, wouldn't even have anything to do with them. It was hard for her to love. She was out. She was without love. She couldn't forgive. And I know that hits home. Because <laughs> I'm sure in the sound of my voice, there may be some of you right now who've got siblings you haven't spoken to. You gotta love them. You ain't gotta like what they do. You ain't even gotta support what they do. But a little text or a little call to say I love you goes a long way. And it releases you from the burden. It releases you from the grips of selfishness. 
It releases you from the grips of bitterness. If you're a lover of self, then you are without self-control. Man, I fall in this one sometimes, if I'm honest. If I'm honest, you know, I mentioned last week that I was bipolar and I'd struggle with some depression. And man, I can tell you before Jesus and before lithium, I was one out of control dude. But I got saved and I began to uh, go see a psychologist. And man, I used to have bad moments of rage. I know y'all find that very hard to believe. <laughs> but I had moments of rage where I just lose it, break stuff. When I say stuff, I mean like tables, mirrors. <laughs> bad rage and so uh, I got saved uh, my, my, our marriage was on the rocks and we were about to go our separate ways and I went to uh, a, a Christian uh, psychologist his name was Dr. Walter Thomas and he was a professor at John Wesley College at the time and, uh, and I would plug that right there if, if you've got problems mentally Go to somebody that's got a spiritual side of things. Don't just go to some doctor. No offense if you're a doctor or whatever in here. I'm sorry. But go to somebody that, that practices the other side of things. There's a spiritual side to that mess too. And you got to be taught that. But anyhow, I remember having uh, problems with rage and and. And I got saved, and, and I remember going to Dr. Thomas, and he said, he said, he gave me this house analogy. And he said, you're like a house. He said, in a house, there's an attic, there's a living area, and there's a basement. He said, you're either in the attic or the basement. He said, what we want to do is bring you down to the living area where everybody else is living. And I remember when I first started taking medication and getting drug down to the living area. And I remember thinking, is this where the people live? Oh my gosh. This is boring. Put me back in the attic. But even after that, I would have occasional attic trips, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Occasionally I would pull down the stairs and go back up in the attic, you know, and so, but my point is, is the, the, the more that I understand that there's a spiritual side to that, the more I understand that it's not just a chemical imbalance, there's a spiritual side to that also. And I have to begin to fight that stuff and battle that stuff and put some soldiers in my cup in the mornings and I have to begin to fight that stuff. You understand what I'm saying? And my times have become fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer and they just keep getting less and less. Praise God, praise God. 
If you're a lover of self, you are brutal. Man, you're brutal. You're cutthroat. You just blast people, cut them with your words. You don't care. If you're a lover of self and you're not a lover's, you're not a lover of what's good. You ever meet those people? You tell them something good and they turn it into something bad. Well, if they ever start off with a whale, just move on. Because they're about to ruin it for you. Man, somebody came down to the altar today, got saved, and, well, um, was they playing that rock and roll music? It happens, I promise you. You're not lovers of what is good. That's good. Let's just focus that somebody got saved. That's good. That's good. If you're a lover of self, then you're treacherous. You're rash. You're conceited. If you're a lover of self, you're lovers of pleasure rather than of God. Hmm. Man, we live, not only do we live in a selfish world, we live in a pleasure world. We even want church to be pleasurable. If all we had was Jesus for y'all, half y'all wouldn't come. Maybe half. If we didn't have coffee, if we didn't have good worship and great singers, the best in Asheboro, If we didn't have that, some of you didn't like the lights down low a little bit. If we didn't have the lights down, if we come here, it's too bright, some of y'all would leave. Why? Because you like pleasure. You, you want to be pleased. You want to be, you know, I want it my way when I go to church. And some of you don't even come to church because you like your pleasure so much. Some of you go to the lake. Spend your summer at the beaches. And it's funny how when people go away on vacation, their tithe goes with them. That's so funny how that works. <laughs> and we'll wrap things up with, if you're a lover of self, then you are unholy. All those things up above make us unholy. If you are living in sin and you know you're living in sin, you are unholy. Sorry. The Bible says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. If you're living in sin and you, are, you know you're living in sin, listen to me. Because we define sin as a, uh, a willful transgression against God's law. But really, it's not just 
the, the willful transgression against God's law, it's against the moral law of God. It's against the, it's the attitude in which you sin in also. So don't just take it as an adulterous affair or something like that. You can have an attitude of sin in this place. You're unholy. God has called his people to live holy lives. Holy lives. That means you may be slipping from time to time. But you got to get back up. And you got to get back in the game. You can't, you can't slip, fall into unholiness or fall into this category and stay there. you got to repent and get back in the game. That's, a, that's, that's holiness. That's letting the Lord work through you and, and mold you and make you. Right now, I'm in the midst of a, uh, an advanced theology class, and it is kicking my tail by the way, I mean, my brain hurts. You ever have your brain hurt? Ain't much brain up there, so you can imagine the pain. But the things that we've been studying in this advanced theology class are things like the origin of sin and the doctrine of inherited sin. And I, I found it so interesting as I was studying. It, it says uh, how the process of sin in our life actually breaks down. But it says when Adam, you know, you got Eve in the garden and she's, uh, she's you know, God has told her and Adam not to eat of this one tree. Can you imagine, too, God has given them. He says, I give you all of this, all of this, but don't mess with this one little tree. Because you shall surely die if you eat of the fruit. Isn't it funny? We always want the one thing we can't have. But first, the thing that first happened to Eve was it struck the, the basis of her knowledge. For it gave her a different answer to what is true. Now, you think about this for a minute. Second, it struck the basis of her moral standards, and it gave her a different question for what is right. Eve trusted her own evaluation of what was right and what was good for her rather than allowing God's word to define right and wrong. Man, is that not how sin gets us? I think... I think of people who get wrapped up in sin. That is exactly how it goes down. It attacks your mind, and it starts to show you that, because Satan came to Eve and said, did God really say, did God really say that, this, that you will die if you eat of this? Did, is that what he said? See, it attacks your mind, and you begin to think, it gives her an option, you see. And that's what happens. If you're not close to God and if you're not walking with God, Satan will slip in and give you options of what's true. 
He'll give you options of what's right. If you're not in his word and reading it daily and just letting it become who you are, Satan will slip in and give you options of what is true and options of what is right. Matthew 20, or 6, 22, 23 says, Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is healthy and filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. The Bible says in Genesis, when Eve saw the fruit of the tree, it was good. She saw it was good for food and pleasing to the eye. When your eye becomes corrupted, you're on dangerous ground. Because Satan can slip in. Watch, he can slip in and make you think what is light or what you're, the darkness that you're living in, he might make you think it's light. I think of the homosexual. The homosexual is walking in darkness. But then they get around other homosexuals and they begin to have a community. And these others come around and say, oh man, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. This is right, man. This is good. This is natural. And they, Satan uses them to show them that there is a different option for what is true. There is a different option for what is right. And slips in and the next thing you know, that, that lost homosexual is looking at that, that lifestyle as light instead of darkness. That's true. That's true. Think about it. That's so true. You got to be careful and on guard if you want to escape that. We're none, we're all subject to fall. We're all subject to fail in this area. If we let our guard down, we're one step away from Satan moving in and creating a lie in our head and us falling into darkness and, and then eventually believing that it's light. But there's good news. Amen, right? There's good news. It was a heavy message, but there's good news. The good news is, is in 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17, it says, but you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them, and he'll rescue you too. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers, listen, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, child of God, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know 
those from whom you've learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise from salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. So that the servant of God, that's you, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's good news. That's good news. So don't feel like you came in and you're doomed. Hey, we know what we've learned. The Word of God has, I feel like, through the Spirit of God, has been rightly divided here today. Take it. Let it change. But Paul's given us a, an antidote for these situations. He's given us an antidote. First, he talks about, you followed me, Timmy. Timothy. Timmy. That's what he called him, I'm sure. <laughs> you followed me, Timothy. And I've showed you the right way. You got a pastor that preaches the word week in, week out, preaches, preaches the truth of God's word. Follow him. Follow him. He's not going to lead you wrong. He's a good man. He, follow him. Dive into God's word and know the scriptures. Because it's the only thing. Diving into the word and following a good, strong leader Paul says, it's the only thing that you'll be able to do to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You want to get out of it? We just gave you an antidote. You want to stop sinning? We just gave you an antidote. Pre, uh, uh, Brent stood in this pulpit last week and told you to change. I know y'all heard it. <laughs> He's giving you an antidote. Change. You don't have to live in that mess. It's that easy. Change. And we'll close with this. But I got to thinking about, I got to thinking about the terminology Paul is using in this scripture, in this text. In some, in some uh, translation it says that, uh, he says to Timothy, beware because perilous times are coming. In the last days. And I got to thinking about that word perilous. I thought, why would Paul use such strong language? Perilous means full of danger or risk. To be exposed to imminent risk of disaster or ruin. Why would Paul use that kind of terminology? I mean, when I think perilous, I think Earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, tsunamis, fires. It's just, it's perilous times. It's, it's a disaster. It's a ruin. It's, it, it, everything's going to be ruined. I mean, that's what I think when I think of perilous times. But I believe God showed me this. We are created in the image and the likeness of God. So when you begin a sinful lifestyle and you bring that mess into the church or you bring it into your workplace where people know that you're a Christian or you do it at home, mom and dad, and your kids are watching, you know what? You are destroying the image of God. You're destroying it. You're distorting it 
You're confusing your kids. You're confusing your, your, your co-workers. You're confusing your classmates. And God, through Paul, is saying, that is, that is bad. Not hurricanes and tornadoes and disasters like that, but when you destroy my image, that is worse. That is worse. There's no place for it in a Christian's life. There's no place. Mom and dad, does your children see you have a form of godliness, but deny the power that really transforms your life? I believe that. And the same for all Christians. There are people watching. When you begin to distort the image of God. You know, the Armenians, which is what we believe, by the way, as Wesleyans, they believe that, that when, when the fall happened in the garden, that, that man fell and the image of God was distorted but not totally destroyed. And that we, we still have a capability to choose God and to choose good and to accept his salvation. Free will, basically. And if it's already distorted some when the fall happened, no wonder God sees it as perilous in the church today. Because it's already taken a hit. And now you're just, you're just distorting more and more of the image and the likeness of God. You know what? People see, if you claim to be a Christian, they see your image. They see the image of God and the likeness of God in your life. Now, it's up to you what kind of image of God and likeness of God they see. And that's it. That's it. I don't have no great, wonderful, they're going to play and sing. I don't have no great, wonderful altar call. All I can tell you is you got to stop. You can come on and pray. I know there's people in here that need to pray. I know there's people in here that are struggling with this. Come on, pray. Get it right today. Let today be the day that you say, God, I'm no longer going to hurt your image. I'm no longer going to hurt the likeness of God. I'm not going to be that way to my kids, Father. I'm not going to be that way to my fellow classmates. I'm not going to be that way to my coworkers. I want them to see the real, true God through my life. So they're going to sing. You pray. You worship with us. If you feel the need to pray, you come on down and pray. Let's get it right.
Hearts are cleared, I'm assuming. Listen, I know, uh, tough message. And I know nobody came to pray. But I know that's not really the case. 
So I ask you, please, examine your lives today when you leave. This is serious stuff. And the fact is, is Paul said perilous times are coming, but you know what? We're really not even in the real bad times. Things are going to get worse for the church. And if you're not a strong Christian, you're not going to make it. You're just not going to make it. So I, I beg you today to examine your lives. As you leave this place, go home this week, examine your lives. If, you're, if you fall in those categories, let's get it right. Amen? Let's get it right. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you, Father, for your word, God. It's truth, God. It is powerful, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And, Lord, it does cut. It does cut, Father, both ways. But, Father, I pray that as your word has come out today, and as it's gone into the hearts of your people, Father, they'll deal with what's, what's in their heart. And, God, that they'll profess their sins, they'll confess it to you, God. And Lord, they'll do business with you, even, even after we leave here today. God, may they do business with you, Father. We thank you, we praise you for this time. And Lord, we just uh, ask, Lord, that you go with us now and uh, with your blessing. And bless our afternoon, in Jesus' name, amen.